Good evening, cruisers. Welcome back to my favorite technology podcast out there. Thanks again for tuning in and making this journey even more exciting as we drive around the country looking for points of interest on our GPS, filtering for amazing breakthroughs, innovations, cures, and mission impossibles. I was out last week, folks, due to the holidays and visiting family in San Francisco. I would like to report However, that I gained some valuable insight on my ride up there. I was listening to the radio and skipping through some stations when I heard someone say, Happy Friday, cruisers. And I had to laugh because that was the first time I'd ever experienced that on the radio, someone saying that. You know, I've listened and I and I've listened to a lot in my time. So last time, folks, we were down at the University of Florida thinking about growing jet fuel in fields of yellow flowers from the Coronado plant, a relative of mustard. This week, we are off to Delaware, where we become acutely aware of the sea and the potentiality of its metallurgy. Before we mine into the research, a few reminders. Cruisers, share, like, and follow Cruising on the Cutting Edge so we can spread the word about all the fun experiments, ideas, and solutions people are uh, coming up with. Don't forget that you don't need to send a link to share the show. You can also just mention this episode to your ocean-loving pal or your tech-illiterate sibling. Amaze your crush with some knowledge of the home of Davy Jones this, this episode. I encourage you to share all the topics you learn about here on the show as well. Also, follow the show on Instagram. Write me a letter. It doesn't have to be concerning research we talk about could be something completely different tech that i haven't heard about i will try to get it uh on the show and mention it at the end of the end of an episode perhaps uh the email is again cruising with wellington at gmail.com that's cruising c-r-u-i-s-i-n not a g cruising with wellington at gmail.com also you can reach out on reddit or instagram So, ladies and gentle cruisers, let's hop on into our 1961 Rose Gold Hardcore Cruiser DeSoto Fireflight. I um, love this car. You have to check it out. Um, and, and buckle up for a coast up to the first state of Delaware. I mean, it is a really cool car. It has fins that look like cat ears. You gotta check it out. As we arrive to a small fishing town... We overhear a loud mouth talking about her research. Apparently, she is collaborating with the world's first commercial deep sea mining company, the Metals Company. She boasts about a white paper, and rightly so, released by the Metals Company in conjunction with her, Professor Dana Polikas from the University of Delaware in April 2020, titled, Where Should Metals for the Green Transition Come From? In this 172-page document, they discuss everything from the prospecting, the harvesting, the refining, and the impacts on oceanic flora and fauna. This is the topic of tonight's Mission Impossible. Yes, we're not doing our standard run-of-the-mill innovation breakthrough or cure. This is a Mission Impossible. First, cruisers, we shall set sail on the... uh, on, on Advantage Avenue 
to determine the pros and cons of this endeavor. Next, we will scuba dive into feasibility freeway, seek, uh, seeking the truth in the matter. And finally, we will resurface onto the on-ramp to the future. I recall being advised by my high school English teacher not to mix metaphors, but oh well. I guess everyone marches to their own drum. The Metals Company is a fun website to surf if you get the chance. Lots of graphics and much to learn on the topic of deep sea mining. Here's the basic concept. Metallic compounds floating around in seawater deposit onto rocks on the seafloor. These collect more and more and grow into what they call nodules that simply sit there and uh, waiting to be scooped up. The advantages of this type of mining listed out in the white paper are many compared to land mining. Deep sea prospecting is easier to do than currently is financially possible on land. Mining sites, new ones, are rare and are rare to find, and big sites, uh, especially in the last decade, have not been found at all. The sea floors already has many key locations charted out from previous expeditions, such as I read a CIA mission to uncover a Soviet shipwreck. Apparently that um, pointed out a, an area of great interest. So there are many others, of course, as people are obviously have obviously been interested in what's at the bottom of the sea. So the biggest one, um, the biggest area is off the coast of Mexico and stretches all the way to Hawaii and is called the Clarion Clipperton Zone, or CCZ. Traditional landmines take longer to set up and longer to pause uh, compared to mining efforts under the sea, which can stop at any time and can be propped up in no more than two years. The biggest benefit of deep sea mining is the lack of pollution. No big disasters or human death are affect um, are effect, are possible by unrestored ocean floors. Unlike land, which, if left uncared for after a mine ceases operations, can make it hard for anything to grow back and pollute surrounding watersheds. The nodules picked up from the sea do not contain toxic levels of elements, and that's a quote from the paper, and can be processed in cleaner, less wasteful ways. It releases about 95% less stored carbon, 90% less sulfur oxide, and targets 93% less megafauna than land or mining. But one con is that it actually, deep sea mining, is actually expected to use the same, if not a little more, energy to process and refine the metals, at least according to the paper. But this is uh, offset with the use of hydropower plants that can be used since it does not matter where the plants go so long as they have access to deep waters for shipments. The other big con is that depending on the method of extracting the rocks, they can cause the sands at the bottom of the ocean to rise up and blanket the environment underneath, blocking what little light reaches the bottom and sustains life down there and smothering the tiny but diverse critters. The other potentially harmful thing is that water from the deep sea could be brought up to the mid-sea levels, which 
might cause longer term effects for that set of creatures that we are unaware of yet. So cruisers now onto feasibility freeway to see what we will take uh, to accomplish this. First thing is prospecting. And the metals company has done this already. They've sent out an autonomous underwater vehicle back in 2018 to explore the Clarion Clipperton zone and send back images of nodules. They sort of appeared as grayscale images with the nodules lighting up as little white spots. This, it was pretty interesting. This prospecting step out of the way. Um, the next is to collect permits um, that must be granted, uh, which is another field uh, in and of its own, since we really aren't sure who owns the ocean floor. So once they collect the permit, which in this case is monitored and regulated by the International Sea Floor Authorities, they uh, can begin the process of mining. Just to point, the, this board is a, is a um, union of nations around the world that monitors this, including uh, Japan, Korea, Russia, United States, and more. So next, the metal company has designed and studied and is currently testing hardware for the first expedition, which is to be, is set to be uh, launched in 2025 for their permitted zone. The way they plan on mining these guys, these nodules, also known as polymetallic nodules, um, is actually caused, um, is actually by jetting channels of seawater with some sort of propeller jet that don't go into details into a nozzle shaped in such a way that it actually causes lift to act on the nodules thanks to something called the Kawanda effect, which uh, has actually, I've only ever seen it be uh, used uh, for drones, sort of a fun experiment before. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it consists of putting a dome underneath a propeller which creates uh, extra lift due to the pressure difference inside of the dome and outside. So anyway, these nodules get sucked uh, through the nozzle, which lifts them off the seafloor and up into something called a um, an, ex an extrusion riser or something like that. Uh, one, of the, one of these very long pipes that reaches up into a ship. So the next step is to send it all the way up through this enclosed riser pipe, um, which then pumps it out onto a ship and off to a plant. The technology seems to be there and likely there are many solutions to this design challenge. This can't be the only one, but the matter is in doing it the quickest, safest, cheapest, and most conscientious manner. The metals company actually acquired another firm called uh, Nautilus which owned some large seafloor tractors with massive grinders on board, apparently from what I could glean to crush the stones or sediment all underwater. I think uh, they decided to go with a more you know, elegant solution of jetting them up uh, than that because of the overhead costs of these tractors and the operation costs and such, and the loss of oil purity once or purity once you crush it. 
The refining process they propose is similar to that for land ores, which I find very interesting. They use pyrometallurgy and hydrometallurgy, two, two separate methods, mainly. Pyro, as you might guess, is a process in which they heat up the raw material, which eventually separates into different liquids and slurs and are extricated, extracted that way. Hydrometallurgy is the method of taking acids or bases and dissolving a compound into its primary elements uh, and requires less energy but more toxins. These again are sort of essentially the same for both land ores and a seafloor nodules. Okay, folks, let's just, uh, let us resurface now onto the on-ramp to the future. The nodules we have found on the seafloor are polymetallic ones, like I mentioned before, meaning they contain many different minerals, of which all are considered rare earth minerals. This includes copper, cobalt, nickel, manganese, and more. They are the world's best materials for many things, but most especially for batteries. According to the white paper, the seafloor... Um, the tiny portion of the CCZ that the metal companies, the metals company has rights to harvest from contains about five times the amount of nickel, eight times the amount of cobalt, and a thousand times the manganese and four times copper needed to fully electrify all the car sales in the U.S., which is a lot if you think about it. Teslas and other EVs currently only make up about 4% of the market. That means a you know that means a couple things. First of all, it means in the future a lot less child labor in dirty mines from around the world, as well as more secure jobs in the U.S. About 150,000 is what they predict. These are really huge consequences in the industry that will probably drive the price of these metal metals down. But bringing out more for continued production of batteries and other critical electronics um, in general at the same time. So what do you think about deep sea mining? Is it going to be a thing in our lifetimes? I definitely think so. I also think it is a great analogy to space mining, of course. It presents a neat opportunity for engineers, at least in my eyes, to test different harvesting and refining mechanisms. Um, I'm sure there will be other ways. People uh, will figure out how to pick up these sunken treasures, perhaps even combine the harvesting and refining process at the bottom of the sea. I hope you all enjoyed that episode. Don't forget to follow and share the show. We will be back in the leather buckets next seat, next week. <laughs> My song recommendation for this week is one called Flower Dance. It's a piano piece by Kyle Landry. L-A-N-D-R-Y. It's fun. Check it out. Thank you.